Hi everyone, welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 192. And I'd like to uh, emphasize right off the top here that even though this is called Training the Pointing Labrador, the reason it is that is because that's the book that I wrote uh, by training a pointing retriever, but it's about dog training. Just the little part about what they do when they freeze on birds in the upland field might not apply. So I call it after the book, but it's really a podcast just about our dogs and us and, and doing a little better at whatever it is we're trying to do. And I know a lot of my kids have their friends listen to this when they get a new puppy of some odd sort or a rescue dog just to get some ideas about uh, approaching dogs and, and how to think about your dog a little more effectively. Uh, so I just want to put that out there. Today's episode is going, I'm going to respond to a request that I had in full. And I don't really have a G report. Um, Again, marks, blinds, uplands, uh, things are going well. And and so I can't do water blinds right now. I can't do that water work because we're in Colorado in uh, February. (laughs) And and right now it's uh, zero degrees outside, which is why I'm in here doing this. Uh, instead of out shooting chucker in the field. Um, So I don't have too much on that. Just more practice with any dog. Once you can have all the tools, I see a lot of people assume they're done. Okay, let's start, you know, practicing for the test. Just practicing the individual skills. and That's exactly what I'm doing with her. So that when we do start testing and there's some setup, whether it's an excellent one or a kind of a weird one, it, it won't really unnerve her because she's so comfortable from repetitively doing her thing and not getting concerned about what she sees when she looks out there. So that's a, where I am with her and her sister right now. Today's topic, again, is going to be one that you might feel or might not feel it applies to you, but I think it does apply uh, really uh, to most of us that train. And that is, what do you do... When you're, you're training your dog and you're going through a program and you've got some goals and you're working towards something and your dog begins to regress. And by regress, you know, their, their uh, performance isn't what it normally is. Uh, their attitude may not be what it normally is. You, they just don't. You just can't get what you were getting out of them before. And, and that, you know, that's not uncommon. It happens to us. And it happens to any athlete in the world. Uh, witness uh, Michaela Schifrin in the in the uh, you know arguably the greatest slalom skier of all time, and uh, never even got on the podium or, or almost didn't even finish anything. So, no matter how good uh, someone is or how really effective their program is, things happen, and sometimes the performance goes down. Or just the consistency goes down. Something does. And that can be, uh, if you've never had it before, it can be real disturbing. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Now, when I first said that, especially to those of you that train with some consistency, think about what's the first thing that popped into your mind when I talked about when a dog regresses. Odds are something happened, something that's happened in your past, you you think of, and you, it means something to you. You know, oh, now she's going to talk about when dogs have been overworked or underworked or something. 
too much pressure, not enough pressure. People have kind of specific ideas about what to do when your dog starts not doing as well as they have been. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're not. So I, I had to think about that because when this was first brought up to me, you know, I'll do a podcast on, you know, my opinion of, of why dogs regress and what to do when they're in, in programs. Because I've trained a lot of dogs and I, I, I suppose I've had that a time or two. Um, but anyway... I've seen it happen a lot uh, to the field trial guys. That's the highest demand, highest pressure, costs the most money to go do all the time. Uh, you know, it has to have a lot of birds and you've got to train them almost every day and all that stuff. And so it, I've seen it happen uh, way more there than I have in hunt test stuff, but I've seen it there. And I've seen it, you know, in just regular people's gun dogs that they're training, that kind of thing has happened. So I just want to give some ideas and ways to think about that because dogs do that and you know we do that too again Michaela Schifrin that that's a, at the top level but all of us kind of regular people have exactly the same thing and so you know we kind of work on our own I guess but on the dog thing uh, what happens and and how can you think about it and, and how do you know if that's what you're seeing so let's talk about the first thing. If your dog has some consistent behavior, I don't care where, whatever it is. If it's A plus five star performance and it's dropped to four star performance, okay, that's a little bit of a regression. You know, if your dog was just okay and willingly went out with you every day to do stuff, not great, but always went out and then suddenly began to not be so willing to go out with you, uh, not show as much interest, you know, or if the dog, when you're, whatever it is you're training for, you know, it was usually giving you a very good effort and then just stops giving much effort, which can look a lot of different ways. Um, or they just stop, you know, they just actually don't continue to do what you're doing, what you're trying to do with them. So what, what do you do? Okay. There's several things to look at. Uh, when you're looking at dogs that are going in a negative direction on some level, somewhere, whether it's in their literal performance, their bodies, their minds, their hearts, whatever it is. Several ways to look at this stuff. The first one always, when we're talking about athletes, the first one always is to look at the physical well-being. Right? Maybe there has been a soft tissue injury. Maybe there is a cracked bone. Maybe there is something physically wrong with this dog that um, is the, is the re they don't feel well or they're in pain and they, you know, they can't really tell you other than by becoming less involved in your activities together. So that's the first thing you need to look at. But when I'm talking about dogs that are kind of going negatively in their performance, I don't mean uh, Saturday. Saturday, oh, terrible. Something must be wrong. I'm talking about when their relatively consistent behavior changes to another one that is now on a relatively consistent basis. Not a day or two, because, you know, it might have been all you being in a bad mood or not paying enough attention. But when their consistent behavior drops down a notch or two or however many and then consistently stays there, that's what we're do talking about with a dog going backwards, regressing in the program. You always have to look at the physical thing first. So there are so many, many, many 
uh, and I'm not a vet, and I couldn't possibly begin to throw out things. But there's so many things that can be wrong. There can be internal things that are wrong. There can be some um, some kind of a, a chronic thing going on internally that's just making them not feel very well. And again, there's soft tissue, there's cracked bones, there's there's all kinds of stuff that it could be. So you want to, when you start to see this, that's the first place you want to look. And and if you have a um, a reasonable vet, you know maybe just do a checkup in there. Now I just want to comment on that. So the vets that that I live by, the the vet place where I live close, which isn't still 25 or 30 miles away, and the next ones are way farther than that, are very good for giving shots and get heartworm and, you know, splinting something, spaying a dog. Very, very good at that. When there's some kind of uh, unusual, hard-to-find behavior, that's when, over the years, I've learned just to, to go find and get yourself dog insurance if this is an issue because that certainly helps some specialists, even if you have to drive a long ways. That's the shortest way, if you really do have a physical problem, to get the most informed diagnosis. Because in, in, the, in the animal world, you know, there are some people who specialize in, you know, really interesting things. But other people that don't, they are taking care of people's animals and pets. And my vets are both cow and horse doctors and dog and cat and parrot and all that stuff. So any problems, we have a couple places that we go to in the Front Range area if there's anything that's hard to define or seems to be out of the normal thing. So i just throw that out. That's the first thing that you have to, uh, because if there is a problem, you know, no matter what you do, uh, you aren't going to make their attitude or their performance get any better if their physical problem is causing the problem and possibly getting worse. That's number one. Now, on to this, let's assume that it is not a physical problem. Your dog is sound, healthy, fed well, in shape, not overweight, all that kind of stuff. Then you have to look at other things. Now, just as with you and me, when we're training for anything, anything, for me, you know, um, uh, uh, an Ironman, when I'm training for that, it, it, and when you're, if you're training for tennis, if you're doing something for golf, if you're doing, uh, playing piano, right, and all the myriad of things, I don't, I don't like to exclude people, you're training to become a really good welder, right? Whenever you are training for something, your desire to train and get better and accomplish whatever it is you want to do has to be your desire. Your passion for what you're doing or your interest has to be greater than the stuff you don't like about it. Just kind of a, a real simple thing. So if I want to go run a marathon and I don't like running, that's not that's going to be a very hard thing for me to do. But if I do, I love running, and so I want to do this certain race, and so I work real hard, and I get better, and then I go do the race because I enjoy what I'm doing. When we are training our dogs for whatever it is you train for, whatever, they, if their interest, their enjoyment, I like to use the word passion because for most of our retrievers, goodness, we get more than that of that than we need. When that is becomes less than... Um, 
their interest in doing the fundamentals of it, the bare bones, nitty gritty stuff, the not exciting stuff, when they're when they dislike that, the boring stuff, more than they like the ultimate work, then you have a problem. Then the motivation goes down, the interest goes down, the willingness to give you good effort goes down, all of that goes down. So for some reason, and this would be true for all of us, did you ever get when you got your first when you were first married or had a partnership or you got your first job? Is that exciting, right? And this is gonna be great and everything's perfect, and then reality starts to come in. You have to like that job more than you dislike your fellow employees or your boss or other elements that you have to the job. You know, if you partner with somebody and you love and oh they're the I've met my soulmate, this is great, and then kind of reality after a while comes, you just have to still love them enough to put up with you know, they're throwing socks on the floor. Just a real balance like that is the only reason that you keep going or don't keep going. With our dogs, they have to love what they're doing more than they dislike the boring training stuff. Also, they have to believe in you and trust you and understand what you're asking and love it enough that they want to continue to do it. Dogs will do a lot of things because they love you so much. I've trained a number of dogs to the highest level in the hunt test world. Highest level, master national qualifiers, all the pointing stuff. I have trained them and gotten those titles on them because they liked it but were willing to do it for me. They wouldn't do it for anybody else, <laughs> but, they, but they would do it for me. So there's a dog who enjoyed it at a more moderate level, but were so into our relationship that they would give me a lot more. And that's why when you took away, they had a two-pronged enjoyment of this stuff, right? They, they liked the work, and they would do anything for me. And when, I, I, when they went home to their owners and I was out of the picture, the performance dropped. Because just doing it was not enough for them. You can't poke, prod, push, fry, electrocute a dog into anything, but their love of this was not as great as their, what happened to her? I don't even want to do it then. So I hope that makes sense. But sometimes when dogs are doing it for you, if you're out of the picture, then they don't really want to do it anymore. If you have a dog that is, again, we're, we're talking about ones that are sound, that was doing well and now is not doing so well. Not to your knowledge, nothing really has changed. You're still doing the same program, okay? And, you, and the dog is, is regressing. They are, however, the performance isn't as good. They're trying, but they're not doing as well as they used to. In our retriever world, they're not marking as well. They're not handling as well. They're not coming up with the bird as well. Or that's one way of, of going negative in your uh, training. The other one is being a little bit less interested. Not really getting all the way out to that long bird because it's so far where they didn't used to do that. Or they just go out and they start popping. That is at wanting to be handled because like, I don't know, tell me where it is, which of course is often a failing thing if, you, if they do that. So they didn't used to do that and now they're doing it. And so you wonder, you know, gosh, what's happening to this? Nothing has changed. I'm still training exactly the way I did. 
And, and actually, I'm going to say that's probably uh, something has changed. Whether you're aware of it or not, something has changed. Now, if you do always, every day, the same thing, right? Every day we go out and we do a setup, and maybe it'll be a double-double, maybe it'll be four singles, maybe it'll be a triple and something. Every day we do that, and some days we do the bunch. And it, all the time it's the same, and it's very, very demanding. Okay, that can be, with some animals, boring. In, in other words, the thrill of doing it uh, diminishes because you're doing it all the time every day and it's similar maybe different places different kind of bird different terrain but you do the same thing for some animals that becomes sort of routine and routine is a passion killer in anything in us and in dogs so that's one of the components that could be for if you're just always or if you go to the same place you know some people go train in the same place all the time Again, that's like, I don't know, that's like dating your sister. I mean, it's just, it's just nothing real thrilling about this. You know every bit of it. Okay, now we're doing it from this angle now. And I've had people tell me, oh, well, I always change where the line is. Well, you're still looking at the back of your hand <laughs> from whatever angle. It's still the back of your hand, same hand. So that can be something that, again, passion killer, just same old, same old all the time can be a passion killer. A thing that can also affect these dogs is if there's something going on with us. And I'll use somebody that trains a lot of dogs. I'll, I'll give an example that I've seen. You're training a group of dogs and maybe you have three or four, right? Or maybe you train dogs for other people. And, you know, you're, you're doing really well and you've got this good rhythm and momentum in what you're doing. And you get this one dog in that is awesome, just really special. And I mean, easy and super passionate and really talented. And your internal standard for dogs and what they should do starts to just go up. You know, of course it would. Because this dog is really, this is what you, everybody wants. This is a great animal. And it's so fun to do them. And it's so much less effort. And it's so pleasurable to watch them, you know, with the great passion running and doing so well. That some of those other ones or your other dog or two or some stuff, they start to fall a little bit over to the side. And you're not really aware of this, right? Because you're training everybody. But you got this little spark thing when you're running the superstar. And then your other ones that used to be the big deal are just also there. All right. So that's like, <laughs> that's like, you know, again, you're dating in high school. And then the person you're dating has a bunch of best friends that are, the same as you and they spend all their time with them and you're going I don't feel very important anymore and you began to you began to go negative right so dogs know that they you no longer spark up when you see them you no longer have that energy and none of it's conscious you have no idea that this is happening and yet they can they sense this diminishing thing and it diminishes them and I've seen that happen I've seen dogs wind up ultimately just being washed out of a program because they didn't get the investment that they needed to thrive, which is hard to do when you're training, you know, more than one dog. That's a hard thing to do, to separate those things. That can, over time, 
uh, make a dog go very negative in their attitude and approach and performance. Uh, that's, that's very true. Now here's one that I think is also one of the, uh, well, one of the primary reasons that dogs that have always been so reliable and so good and so consistent and kind of fun, and then things start to change, and, it, and it, you know, they're not sick, they're not injured, they seem perfectly fine. It's just that everything's gone backwards and you don't have another superstar in there. So it's just happening. And so what is that? So assuming, this is the pieces that I've seen in those kind of situations. There's, there's several components to that behavior with between a person and a dog. One of them is the... And you cannot under overvalue, cannot overvalue the importance of your mental and emotional state when you are training dogs. And even though you are doing things mechanically correctly, uh, you're you you've done what you've always done. But I, you know, I don't. There's something. Uh, there's other aspects of your life that are taking a little piece out of you, or making things a little bit of hard. Um, it could be anything. It could be um, an illness. It could be uh, personal things. It could be a financial thing. It could be COVID. It could be all kinds of things like that that are little pieces of you are just getting diminished by certain aspects of your life. That transfers, particularly with dogs with which you're very bonded and connected, that transfers right over to them. They don't know what's wrong. They just know something's wrong. And then they basically embody that not okayness in what they do that happens all the time all the time so if there's something if there's attitude within you if there's emotional state physical state something that kind of kind of shrinks you down a little bit that impacts the animals you train whether you are aware of it or not that's that's very often and you try to tell that go tell that to some big guy yeah. Well, actually, what it is, it's you. And then you know, that's not good. <laughs> they, don't, they won't accept that. But that's what it is. Another thing that can really diminish a dog, uh, start to yeah, diminish them, because you're shrinking them down, and then they seem to regress. Another thing is use of pressure that is not making sense to that dog. Many, many times, okay, say somebody else had a dog, or say you had were trained in a certain way, and you used your, the pressure that you, training pressure, and I've had an entire podcast on what is training pressure. It's not just electric collar or healing stick. It's your body, your tone of voice, your movements, your attitude, all of that is training pressure. And when you have, when they've, understood the pressure that's been used, respond to it well, know how to control it. And then sometimes that pressure changes. Maybe you got some advice from somebody you respect a lot that said, you can't let them do that. You got to make sure you do this or that. Um, then, um, <laughs> then the dog is, you know, going, what happened? <laughs> Everything was good. And now I'm kind of getting hammered. And they don't really understand it as you do. Some expert told them, you know, oh, well, if you do this, they'll stop doing that or they'll do this. Okay. And the dog is like, it's going, I, mm, what? What's happening here? Right. Again, they have nothing to do but sort of shrink and diminish because 
they don't understand what's happening and it's not good for them. Now, on that very same thing, take it 180 degrees to the other side, also true. If you have a dog, and it, you know, I'm going to liken it to kind of a wild teenage boy who's, you know, a good kid on the inside, talented, smart, and that's not always good um, when they're smart, and but a little bit of a rebel, just a little bit, right? And you've found a way raising your kid to let him be him, but still keep him under a wrap. So he never got arrested. He never started a family early. Nothing bad really happened. He finished school. He made choices about stuff. You had enough pressure on this kid, enough expectations and guidelines and lines drawn in the sand that you kept this kind of rebel kid true to himself, but still didn't fall off, you know, the edge, getting all wild and crazy with pushback. Okay. Now take that same kid where you raised them like that. And then they just, you'd send them off to college, pay for everything. And they just, there's no guidelines anymore or it's lessened, the pressure is lessened, that perfect amount of pressure that you use to keep them kind of in line and still okay with themselves and still very authentic. And that just goes away. All right, stuff can happen. Different things happen. So go back to the dog thing. You know, when this dog has been taught and trained and a certain amount of pressure and they've become uh, connected with that communication with you, with that kind of stuff they and they've they did well with it and then again because some expert advised you you need to back off you need to not get up just let them just do whatever okay and suddenly those those guidelines are gone or that known uh, way of doing things and the known understanding between the two of you is loosened and gets gets wider all right things are different now and every dog is different. They're not dog bots out there all responding the same ways. But sometimes when they had something real well understood and then you kind of backed off thinking that you were being more humane and kinder and all that, which is, you know, I'm all for that. But it has to be for the right reasons and get the right results. Sometimes when you, and I know this from personal experience, I thought, you know, I've just been too demanding on this dog. And I back off, you know, and kind of, okay, I'll be, ooh, and they're just like a kid that got turned loose in the candy shop. And suddenly they're not really taking me seriously. And they don't, and they're more interested. And they become more self-absorbed and not really connected with me because I totally changed the way, or somewhat changed the way we communicated. That can have result in a dog. You took that passion away. Because passion and excellence and a dog giving all the effort it has to give is not just something that just happens easy and happens to everybody. It is a combination of understanding that dog, understanding what motivates them, understanding how to communicate with them, and then remaining consistent with very high standards. And if you take some of those pieces out of that, right? Uh, Michaela Schifrin, I can't use her, I don't know. Um, if somebody, just the right recipe of, of discipline and structure and and just brought out the passion and the talent and the heart of the dog, right? All of that was there. That's great. I mean, that's what you need. It's not that easy. There's a lot of great dogs out there that don't do that well because people can't find that little right combination of that. 
But if you have found it and that dog's doing really well, and then you change a little bit of that, particularly on the kind of passionate dogs that really like this, you change something. There's some dogs who love it so much it doesn't matter. And there are other dogs when you change something, they reflect that change. They do. And when you don't have that right combination, some part of it is like squeezing the sponge. It just squirts out the other side. And it may be that they become belligerent and doing their own thing. It may become kind of disinterest because they lost that clarity that they had. It could be a lot of things like that. And I'm sounding kind of vague. But that's because it's very different for different dogs. But when you take out that recipe that made that dog really top shelf performing, you change something in that, whether it's adding more pressure, taking pressure away that wasn't there before, um, dropping your standards, raising your standards above what they were, uh, uh, taking time to watch and invest in what they're doing, or just going through the motions because oh, it's fun. If you relax on that, they relax on stuff. So uh, that's a lot of stuff. And I, you know, it might not make sense if you haven't trained, a, you know, some dogs in, into a fairly high standard. But their athletes, their performance, it's training, just like the guys in the Olympics or people playing golf or people wanting to make first chair on the violin. All of that's the same way. And there's all these components to it. It's not a dog bite. And it's not, this is what you do. And again, I'll say, if anybody tells you, oh, here's what you have to do. They could be right. They could be wrong. Because there's a lot of elements to this that you have to be aware of and think about. You're a big one. And one of the things I think people often underestimate in their impact on their dog training is consistency. And that is consistency in the standard you expect. Consistency in how you communicate. Consistency in responding to their state of mind you know is this a day we shouldn't train maybe we should just go for a run in the field you know maybe we should just sit at home and rest that kind of consistency where you're aware of their state of mind and respond to that and consistency within you the trainer and if things have changed in your life or things are there's a new better thing so the other dog gets shoved aside whatever it is consistency and what you bring to that is also equal component to all this other stuff. So that's my opinion of why dogs can go negative in training. Uh, I have the, the luxury of having, you know, like made every mistake and still find new ones to make. But watching all these dogs and seeing what, what you know, and watching a dog that I know to be a certain way and then handing them over to someone else and watching that dog instantaneously change and understanding the impact of the individual that's working with them and how when things aren't consistent or things change or standards change or just anything changes and the bottom kind of falls out for some dogs. Not for all, but for some. So I hope I addressed that probably too much, but <laughs> I hope I hope that's helpful to, to at least look at this whole picture. And it goes a lot with my last podcast on the human psychology thing. Um, it takes a little bit of looking at Again, that's why there's not just uh, so many people doing exceptionally well with all kinds of dogs because it's a hard recipe to come up with. Anyway, that's today's. It's gone to uh, 0.3 degrees now here, so uh, things are looking up. I hope everybody stays warm and safe 
and uh, gets through the rest of this winter because I know this is hitting the whole country all over the place. And uh, we'll be, G and I will be back soon. <laughs>